0: My name's Ben. I'm the pastor here. We are a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, loving others, and making disciples. Is who we are. That's what we do. That's how we do it. You've heard me say it before. Uh, we're continuing on in this series called Jesus and the Mission of God, and we're looking at what Jesus has to say about His mission and our place in it. The heart behind this series on missions, even as we reintroduce us, ourselves to our missionaries, is what we, we hope is that God would use it to stir his zeal for missions in us, right? In our hearts. So be free, let's together start stirring our own hearts, reigniting our in our own hearts a, a, a burning passion for the lost. <laughs> we have to start by doing that in our hearts before we start going to the few. It's that first step. To reburden ourselves with the spiritual responsibility for our lost friends and with the urgency for them to know and to, to love the Lord. and That's where we're going through this series, but I also want to say, if you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Christ, uh, you're welcome. This series is, is geared towards followers of Christ helping us think about what it looks like to move towards people who don't know Jesus. But if you're with us and you don't, or you're wondering if you do, this is a worthy, this is a worthy use of your time as well. It'll give you a picture of the heart that we have for people who don't agree with us. (laughs) People who don't believe in what we believe. They're not our enemies. We love them. We want them to have the love we have. That's the heart behind missions. So I hope this is helpful for you as well. Nobody has to teach a kid to be afraid of the dark. Right. I remember being a kid uh, laying in my bed at night and my fear laying in bed of that at night aligned with how dark my room was, right? Uh, I wanted my parents to leave the door cracked and even still today, Davy wants us to leave the door cracked She wants us to leave the hallway light on so that light comes in to the darkness And we know that being afraid of the dark is an irrational fear in a way because darkness is literally nothing <laughs> Darkness is the absence of light. How can we be afraid of literally nothing? Um, I've got a friend named Google, and Google tells me that there's an actual diagnosable disorder uh, called nyctophobia, which is the irrational fear of the dark. Not very creatively named, nyctophobia, but it's something that people can actually be uh, diagnosed with. I'm still afraid of the dark. I don't want to admit that, but it's true. I I found that out Uh, Last summer uh, down behind my house. There's a hill that goes down to the pond and um, I was down there It was burning brush and it was late at night And uh, I realized if I wanted to go back up the hill and go to sleep I was gonna have to push put out the fire and then walk up the hill (laughs) Fire makes light and so as soon as I put out that fire I knew that it was gonna be really dark so I had my flashlight on on my phone Uh, I, I dumped a couple of things of water from the lake on the on the fire and I was instantly horrified <laughs> and I was scurrying up the hill with my little light trying to not trip over rocks and things. I'm, a, I'm still afraid of the dark and I think that we all are to a certain degree and I think that that actually does make sense because when we're afraid of the dark, what we're, not, we're not really afraid of darkness in and of itself. We know darkness is nothing. We know that darkness is just the absence of something. What we're afraid of is the unknown. What we're afraid of is not the dark but what might be lurking in the dark. What danger might be in the dark? What evil might be in the dark? Whether that's just an animal down the hill or a monster in our closet. We're not afraid of the dark. We're afraid of what the darkness might be hiding. And so it's no surprise to us then that darkness is associated with evil and that, you know, nearly every villain that we can think of in any movie, any show, any book is associated with darkness, with with blackness. Uh, They wear black clothes. They, They are on the dark side. They're the dark lord. They live in the dark tower in Mordor where the shadows lie. It's shadowy darkness where evil exists. Nearly every world religion plays on this theme as well, right? Darkness associated with evil, light associated with good. Actually, if you were to walk around the church right now, you'll notice signs that say, uh, there's one by the bathroom, there's another one right back here. Be the light for others to follow. People understand that idea of light being good and darkness being bad. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us either that when we open the Bible, we find the same thing as well. Light is a symbol of goodness, a symbol of righteousness, a symbol of holiness. Darkness is a symbol of evil and and wickedness. In fact, it's a little bit more, though, in the Bible, because light doesn't only, therefore, symbolize righteousness, but the righteous one. Uh, Holiness, but the holy one. When we see light in the Bible, it's a symbol of God himself and his presence. We see that all over the word of God. He's the one who said, after all, let there be light. Right? Genesis 1, verse 3, pushing out the darkness. He appears to Abraham as a smoking firepot and a flaming torch. In Genesis 15, he appears to Moses as a burning bush in Exodus 3, to Israel as a pillar of fire in Exodus 13, lightning in Exodus 19. He dwells in unapproachable light, 1 Timothy 6. And we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, where we talked about light a lot, <laughs> that our God is Light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. There's many, many more. And if we had a couple hours, I could read all of them to you. But the entire Bible is full of examples of God being a, symbolized by light. Him and His perfect righteousness and, and holiness. And so last week, as we started the series on mission, we were in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22, where we saw that the God, uh, God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to fix what was broken in this world. And then how Jesus sends us, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to join him in that mission of fixing what's broken here in this world in very specific ways. And one way that the Bible portrays God's mission is in this imagery of light. It uses the same idea. It talks about how God comes and shines in his light, pushing out the darkness. And we understand that idea. We understand that idea anytime we flick on a light bulb The light pushes out the darkness. The darkness cannot overpower light. Light wins. (laughs) Light pushes back darkness. And so today in John chapter 8 verse 12, that's where we're going to be today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. In John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus says something that's particularly important to us when we think about his mission and when we think about it in terms of this idea of light. You probably know what he says. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And what this passage is going to show us once again is that God has this plan to fix the world. And at the center of God's plan to fix this world is Jesus Christ. We find him right at the center of that plan once again, this time as the light who pushes back darkness. Jesus' is plan A for the mission of God, there is no plan B. And with the simple statement that Jesus says here, it doesn't only, it's not only a picture to us where he unmistakably declares his identity as God himself, I am the light of the world, but we also see by the end of our, our time together, clearly what our role is in the work of shining the darkness out. So let's pause, let's pray. We're going to dive in here. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, one word that we talk about a lot in our church, or at least from time to time, is the word re-enchantment. We want to be re-enchanted with the beauty of the gospel. What we mean is we want our hearts to be reignited. <laughs> we, want to, we want our minds to understand once again the true depths of the, of the beauty of who you are and what you've done for us. And so, Father, I pray that as we come back um, to an idea that's not new to us, you would use this to reignite in us a zeal for the gospel an appreciation for the beauty of the gospel, to, to re-enchant the gospel to us, but then also to reignite that passion for mission, Lord, that others would know. Show us what it looks like to live as lights in dark places. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I was in high school, and um, I, I had good friends, mostly. You know, like, my friends mostly were really great, and one thing that They wanted to do on one very sunny afternoon is throw water balloons at cars Um, They're good guys for the most part not a great decision of what to do on a a Sunday or on a sunny afternoon Um, And my mom had just had a conversation with me uh, that put the fear of God in me so to speak Um, that um, She was like Ben You have now turned 18 if you do something stupid, you're going to prison, okay? Like, you're going to be treated like an adult. And I thought I was a pretty good kid, all in all, and so I was thinking, that's pretty extreme, but it got through to me, because when my friends wanted to throw water balloons at cars, like, I don't want to go to prison, so let's, let's do something else. And so I was in the front yard. They were hiding in a tree. I was saying, guys, let's please do something else. When a car drove by and they threw their first water balloon, Perfectly. It landed right in the front in the windshield of this car. It exploded. I did nothing wrong. I got the blame. (laughs) She got out of the car and she yelled it at me. She was the only person I saw around. She thought I just chucked a water balloon at her. I did nothing wrong. I got the blame. Guilty by association, right? The good thing is sometimes this happens the other way around in life. Sometimes we're given credit by association. Sometimes we do nothing right and still we get the credit for it. And a a picture of this was when I was in college. I had a group project, and uh, the teacher assigned the group projects, and maybe he didn't know, but he assigned me and my friend Nick in the same group. Not a good combination because Nick and I had some growing up to do. This was freshman year of college. Uh, There was another girl in the group as well, and she did not have as much growing up to do. Uh, She did all the work, bless her heart. We got a great grade. I also got a wife out of the deal. That, wife, that girl was Olivia. It, it, turned out, it turned out... So, you know, credit by association, right there. Um, I, so, that sometimes you get guilty by association, sometimes you get credit by association. And in the, when we look at the story of Israel, we'll see Israel gets credit by association. Israel is holy, Not because they are holy but because they have a holy God because God shines his light upon them That's what we see when we look at the Bible We see this in different places throughout the Bible Exodus 33 Deuteronomy 7, but Israel is a typical ancient Near Eastern nation There's nothing special about them. So to speak they're ordinary people the thing that makes them Extraordinary is that they have an extraordinary God. He's made himself dwell with them. That's what makes them special Credit by association. The God of light is, de- is dwelling in Israel, so Israel shines. The most striking picture of this, I think, is in Isaiah 49, verse 6. I think we've got that the passage up here. I'll read it for us. It says this, I will make you, talking to Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. All right, think about very, the details here. I will make you, I, God says, will make you, Israel, a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's not Israel that's shiny. It's God that's shiny. It's not the Israel that, that the people are going to flock to necessarily. They're going to flock to Israel because God is part of them. I think that's pretty cool. God has always planned to use Israel to be a blessing to the nations. We see this in Genesis chapter 12, when God first speaks to Abraham. He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. A little later, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Blessed to bless. That's, that's the plan for Israel. Same in Exodus chapter 19. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel is set apart different from the nations, but they represent God to the nations by worshiping him alone and following his laws. Never panned out exactly the way that we would have hoped, right? They never did that perfectly. And yet in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is looking forward to the future. He's looking to a future day. And again, I want to read to you something a couple chapters later. This is in chapter 60, because this is what God says to Israel, to Israel, and it's even more striking, I think. Same idea, more striking. He says to Israel, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has arisen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. Are you see in this? And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. This is is beautiful. And yet we just have to look at this and recognize there's nothing special about Israel here. They're ordinary people. What makes them special is that they're being shown upon by an extraordinary God. That's what makes Israel special. And because of him, Israel becomes a beacon of light to the nations. The nations are going to swarm to Zion like bugs swarming to a fluorescent light in a Louisiana bayou, just from far and wide, seeing that beacon and flocking to it. The nations will lift up their eyes and see and come to your light. They will gather together. What an image is that? I love that. There's other passages around the Old Testament we could look at. We don't need to. This is, this one's perfect. But what's really important to see here, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, Uh, This is a borrowed light. They're not the source of the light. The light is being shown upon them. This is a reflected light. Israel can only arise and shine, it says in verse 1, because the glory of the Lord has risen upon them. This is God's light. The nations can only will only come to the light of Israel, verse 2, because the Lord will arise upon them and his glory will be seen upon them. Israel's not shiny. God's shiny. <laughs> Israel's like the moon. They only shine because another light source is shining upon them. Theirs is a reflected light. It's a borrowed light. That's so important for us to see, isn't it? And what we see here is that one day they will shine that borrowed light in a way that will cause the nations to swarm. One day Israel will shine that borrowed light in such a way that it's going to cause the nations to swarm. When will that day come? Well, let's jump forward 700 years, about, to about 30 A.D. in Jerusalem at a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, at the Feast of Tabernacles, this was a time where Israel gathered together to remember and to celebrate how God led them out of bondage in Egypt, right, in a pillar of light, fire and smoke. And in the temple courtyard, they set up four massive 75-foot lampstands. And these lampstands, every night, the people of Israel would come into that light and they would celebrate and they would they would dance and the light from those lights lampstands would shine out over Jerusalem. It's a beautiful picture. That was meant to remind them of, of God's deliverance of them when he when he delivered them from, from bondage in Egypt. And it's here in this context that Jesus shows up in John 8. He shows up in the temple. We don't know if it was nighttime. I'm not sure That would be great if it was. Let's picture it that way. (laughs) But he shows up there in, in Jerusalem, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, what he's saying to them is, Israel, look, you're gathering here to remember how God delivered you from bondage to Egypt in a pillar of fire. Well, guess what? I am the light of the world. Just as you followed that pillar out of bondage to Egypt, follow me out of bondage from sin and from death. You will have the light of life, he says. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he can say that because he is the I am. He is God. And because of that, his light is not a borrowed light. It's not a reflected light. Jesus isn't the moon. He's the sun here. Jesus is God. He's the light source. Or as we see in John chapter 1 verse 9, he is the true light, which gives light to everyone. He says, I am the light of the world, and because of that, the nations are going to swarm to him, right? Be free. Guess what? That's exactly what's been happening. For the past 200 years, the nations have been swarming to Jesus, the the light of the world, and it's not done. I mean, it's hard to count how many Christians there are in the world, because we don't know different groups, different sects, who's really Christian, who's not. We don't know. But if we look at who it is that names Jesus as the Lord of this world, who worships the name of Jesus Christ, this world is full of about 2.56 billion Christians today. And it's growing at a rate of about 1.7%, which means that by the year 2050, this world will be filled with 3.33 billion people who name Jesus Christ as Lord. That, to me, that sounds like the nation's swarming. And it sounds to me like that swarm isn't done. It sounds to me that the light of the world is just as compelling to us today as it was the day He came. And no offense to you and to me and to the billions of other people like us, But there is nothing special about us. We're, We're ordinary people. What's special about us is that we follow an extraordinary God. Just like Israel. And if we follow the light of the world, if we put our faith in Him, then what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, I'll put it up here, is true of us. Because he doesn't only say, I am the light of the world. He says in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. All right? Old Testament Israel was lifted up. Here, we are lifted up. A city on a hill. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under their basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Just like God said through Isaiah to Israel, now Jesus is saying to those who believe today, be the beacon of light that the nations swarm to. You, be that light. Yes, it's a reflected light. It's a borrowed light. It's not a light that shines from us, but is reflected off us from the light of the world. We're like the moon We shine because another light source is shining upon us. That light is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. The light of the world who stepped down into darkness and shone upon us. Now we shine into the darkness. Amen? Amen. Jesus came to push darkness back in us, and now he's using us to push back the darkness in the world. And the question that we have to ask is, how? How in the world do we do that? Because now's the chance for us to get a little bit practical here for the rest of our time to get. What does it actually look like for us to be light in a dark place? To shine His light into the darkness? What does it look like for us, perhaps, to be Christians, little Christs? To be little lights? Little lights in this world going out into the darkness? I'm going to give you three ways. How do we live as little lights? Number one, point people to the light. This one shouldn't be surprising. <laughs> The fact is, we cannot push out the, back the darkness. Jesus can. We already talked about that. The, the, the important thing to remember is that Jesus will. It's not just that he has pushed back the darkness and is pushing back the darkness. He will one day perfectly finish his work of pushing back the darkness. He's going to finish the work he started. This is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 23 through 25. In the new Jerusalem, when he comes and sets up his kingdom, what we read there is that there is going to be no need for a sun or a moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God gives it light. He's the light in the new heavens, in the new new Jerusalem. And its lamp is the Lamb. But its light, sorry, by its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Nations, kings, sound familiar? And its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. (laughs) Yeah, he's pushing back the darkness in this world, and someday he's going to finish pushing back the darkness. How do we join in the work of pushing back the darkness? What we do is we point people towards him, the light of the world, which one day is going to do that work and finish it, finish that work, I should say, perfectly. Tell people about how he pushes back the darkness in us first. Tell them about how He pushes back the sin and the brokenness in us by bearing the punishment for that sin and brokenness in our place. Tell the world how He has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9. And about how, by faith, we can be white as snow, pure lights in this dark world. Do you long for that? As as I was getting ready for this week, I was... um, I was trying to do a brutally honest assessment of my own heart and just ask do I really want that and if so Why don't I do it? And I think that the question, I mean ask yourself that question I mean, maybe it's too much to say I don't do it and it's too much to say that you don't do it But at the same time, it's there's barriers that really slow us down in this mission, aren't there? So all of us differently Seeking my own heart, I was realizing, yes, I I truly do long for people to know Jesus. I'm burdened by that. And there's a couple reasons for that. I want people to know the life and the love and the joy and the hope that I found in Jesus Christ. That's the first reason. The second reason I want people to know Jesus is because I believe in hell. That's a real reason. The third reason that I'm burdened by this is because the more I come to know my God, the more I want other people to give him the praise and the glory that he's due. I want to make more worship machines, pouring out praise to Him because He's worth it. (laughs) That's what I want. But what slows me down? What's what's the barrier? What's the thing that stops me from acting upon that burden so often? Number one, though my heart burns for it, I've grown used to the heartburn. I've grown used to the fact that 95% of my neighbors here in New England don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I just... I've gotten used to that fact, and it doesn't light me in the way that it used to. That's that that makes me sad. I don't really know what to do. Also, I I want to reach my neighbors. What's the best way to do that? I also feel guilty about my inaction here. I want people to know Jesus, but I almost don't want to tell people that I struggle to tell people about Jesus. (laughs) And also, I'm just nervous about how they're gonna respond. What, What are they gonna think? Is 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 my Way of doing it gonna be the best way of doing it. Maybe you're wrestling through all these things as well. Maybe you can relate to all of that <laughs> So, how do we live as little lights? There's a lot of answers I could give and hopefully over the rest of the series We're gonna get to the, some of those answers. I'm gonna give you just one because I actually think it's the most important What do we do? Here's my challenge. We pray hard <laughs> Really hard for this dedicated. We dedicate ourselves to prayer for the lost. We pray for soft hearts, open doors, and the courage to speak. Soft hearts when we do get a chance. Soft hearts to be convicted that people would want to know about Jesus. Open doors to have conversations about Jesus. And the courage to maybe push those doors open, and the courage to speak when they do open up. Because the fact is, nobody's going to know Jesus if we don't tell him. And nobody's going to know Jesus if he doesn't do the work in their hearts first. And perhaps you have just one person, you know, in your life that you're desperate to know Him, or perhaps there's a few, or perhaps you want to like dedicate yourself to a list of people. I just want to beg you, pray hard for those people. And then, when those doors open, when you're able to get those doors open, speak courageously and and, and tenderly, and listen well, and have those conversations. What we're going to do in a couple weeks here, um, as a part of this series, I'll share more in the weeks to come, we're going to have a day of fasting and prayer as a church for the lost, uh, for the mission of God from our neighbors to the nations, and we're going to have a little sheet uh, that helps us guide, guide us through this day of fasting and prayer, and the hope, and we're still working this out, is that at the end of that day of fasting and prayer, uh, we would be able to come together to pray, and then break that fast together. So keep your ears open for that, because if, if, if our God's real, I think He is, I believe He is, if our God's real and He works and He hears our prayers, we got to dedicate ourselves to that. So how do we live as little lights? Number one, we point people to the light. Very practically, first, we dedicate ourselves to prayer for that process. Amen. All right, so that's number one. We point people to the light. Number two, how do we live as little lights? Our lives shine. Our lives shine. Just like Israel, we aren't shiny. God is, right? And the more conformed we are to the image of Christ, that's a way of saying, the more like Jesus we are, the more we'll shine. Let me read this from Philippians chapter 2. I don't have it up here. Philippians two fourteen through 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world This is an interesting passage <laughs> what it's saying is that we shine by our blamelessness we shine by our innocence using these words we shine when we're like jesus we shine when we refuse to grumble and dispute we shine when, we're, when we refuse to grumble and dispute, even if we're surrounded by crookedness and twistedness. How do, we, how do we live as lights in the dark places? How do we live as little lights? Well, we fight sin in our own life. That's something we don't talk about a lot. When it talks about living on a mission, that we would actually live as the lights that God has called us to be. To tenaciously seek holiness, to seek out the sin in our life, and to weed out the sin in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit that He has put in our life. To do all that, seeking holiness, even as we continually rest in His grace, right? That rhythm of holiness and grace, yearning for that in our life and running hard after that. Because if we refuse to live crooked and twisted around a crooked and twisted world, we will stand out, and sometimes that will be uncomfortable. (laughs) You see in other passages that sometimes that's what people hate us for. And this is true in in all areas, but I would almost want to say that our light is going to shine most noticeably. Our light is going to shine most particularly brightly in the areas of the world that are particularly dark today. Does that make sense? We'll shine brightest in the darkest areas of this world. So let me give you three examples. We live in a world... Uh, of outrage, right? Everybody's angry. <laughs> we live in a world where when you're angry at someone, you cancel someone. That's how things seem to be going uh, in a new way in the last five years or so. And our, our, our virtue, it seems, in the world is marked by whether we're angry enough at the things we're told to be angry at. What will the world think if we forgive? <laughs> right? When our world is so unwilling to forgive, what's the world going to think when because of the love of Christ in us we're able to say to people who hate us or who've sinned against us, who have wronged us, I forgive you. <laughs> I, I absorb that guilt. I, I release you from any responsibility. I release the anger that I hold towards you. What's that going to do to the world? That's going to be Shiny. Another example is that we live in a culture of tribalism and disunity. You can think about all kinds of ways that that's the case. Not just, uh, it doesn't only matter who you stand with, but also who you stand against. And with with that, what will the world think if they see Christ's people united across ages, across races, against politics, across all kinds of divisions? A diverse community of love and unity. If if that's what the church is, the world, we're going to be shiny. That's going to be attractive. And then finally, we we live in a world of long-term cohabitation and easy divorce, where romantic relationship is seen on transactional terms. What's the world going to think when we show that our marriages aren't transactional but covenantal? Where we're committed to keeping those relationships not because they serve us, but because we have promised before the Lord that we would be committed to them for better or for worse. Sickness and in health. That's shiny. That is shiny. And so how do we live as little lights? Number one, we point people to the light. Number two, we let our lights shine. Or sorry, we let our lives shine. And then number three, we let our works shine. Let me reread the verses 14 and 16 from Matthew 5. He says, you will, you you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we might say it like this, we don't only shine by not doing bad things, we also shine by doing good things. (laughs) We don't only shine by By refusing to sin and to uh, being humbly holy, we also shine by proactively doing what's good. We don't only play defense, we play offense. And of course, we're not saved by our good works, but Ephesians 2 does tell us that we are saved for good works. And these good works are a part of a holy Christian life, a shiny life. And when we think about this, we have to ask, you know, why did Jesus do the miracles he did? It's interesting because he could have grabbed attention just by taking a rock and turning it into a mouse and taking that mouse and then turning it into a tree. He could have just done magic tricks. He chose the miracles that he did for a certain reason. He chose the miracles that he did to show something, not only to grab attention and to show that he had power, but rather he focused on healing, on restoration, and on fixing because he was giving the first fruits of the kingdom a taste of what the future was going to be like. And as citizens of that kingdom, what we do is we join in the work of giving the world a taste of what the future kingdom is going to be. Not just that we have power, but that the world is, but to work towards the flourishing of of this world, the fixing of this world. And of course, we need to be careful with that, because Jesus is the one who's going to come and make all things new. We can't do that, right? We also need to be careful because we can be prone to elevate the work of the kingdom above the king of the kingdom. And that's a problem as well. We can work so hard to push back the darkness in our worlds that we forget that it's also our job, primarily our job, to push back the darkness in people's hearts. (laughs) So let's be careful. But when we do good deeds, when we serve our community, when we bring food to the sick, when we give to good causes, we don't only grab attention so that we can speak about the light of the world, we're also joining our king in the work of fixing this world in a small way. Pushing back the darkness until the day that He comes to do it perfectly. And so because of that, this spring, we're hoping to do a, a day of service as a church in our community. Not just to be a presence in the community, to be, uh, but because we truly believe it's part of our job to give our community a first fruits taste <laughs> of the kingdom that's going to come as we live as citizens of that kingdom now. And so how do we live as little lights? Number one, we point people to the light. We tell people about Jesus Christ. We prayerfully look for opportunities. Prayerfully beg for softened hearts. Prayerfully beg for the courage to point people to the light of the world. Number two, we let our lives shine. We seek to live lives of humble holiness for the world to see. And number three, we let our works shine. Serving this world, giving them a first fruits taste of the kingdom that will one day come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know um, that we know that we can't fix this world We know that any work that we do towards the fixing of this world is just fishes fishes and loaves, Lord. It's it's so little. It's not much that we can offer. And yet, Father, your plan was to use us. (laughs) Your plan, Father, was to to use us as broken and perfect people to shine your light. And so I pray that you would give us a vision of what it looks like for each of us individually and for all of us corporately to do that. Give us the wisdom. Give us the courage. Give us the direction. Give us the zeal. Burden our hearts to do so. And I pray, Lord, that when you show us the direction to go, we wouldn't drag our feet, but we would be willingly and humbly obedient to your call. God, we want you to be glorified in this world. We want you to be praised. You are so worth it. May we be tools in your hands to that end, and we pray this in Jesus' name.